morning, everybody. Good to see you all. So uh, our house, the house that Ann and I live in, the, the back wall faces primarily north. Now, those of you who own homes or maybe you've dealt with this, you know that a northern-facing wall tends to get very little sun, and depending on how it's facing and what the terrain around it is like, if it doesn't get much sun because of the moisture, dew, rain, that type of thing that will collect on the walls and so forth, you know what happens, right? Is it, will, it, it just doesn't dry up, and so it'll start to get a little bit of green mold on it, and you'll see it growing, and you'll see it, darkness come, and then, of course, spiders love that atmosphere, and so they bring all their webs in, and we have at our house, it doesn't matter really what kind of siding you have, that's going to happen if you've got a north-facing wall, and it doesn't get much sun at all, and we have a white siding, a, a white um, vinyl siding, and so it's just like the worst thing ever, and I, you know, this is nothing new. I've known that this is the way this, that our, our, our back wall gets, and uh, over the years, I've taken care of it using a power washer. But for the last two, three years, we have not had a power washer. And so this year in the spring, I looked at it and I was just like, oh man, I got to get on this wall. It just looks terrible. And so we got a power washer and I'm power washing the back wall. And um, at the base of our back wall is a, a fairly large area of concrete. It's like a, a, a you know, pe- little patio out on the back. And I was just thinking around at one point because I'd come down the ladder from cleaning it. You know, it's two-story and all that. And so I just, I just thought, oh, I'll just do a little piece of this. And I just did a little piece of the concrete down below. And when I did it, I was like, oh, because it was like black and white. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was like, I just did this little, it was like a little square foot. And I was like, oh, my gosh. One of my sons actually said, you could make a checkerboard out of that, you know, because you have... And I realized that this black had built up on it, and suddenly I'm looking, I'm like, I've got a pigsty for a home, you know, and I realized I have to do that whole patio, and I had to work on that, and you spray about an inch wide with that power sprayer to try to get that off. It was amazing. My son actually said to me, he stopped over uh, when I was about halfway through, then he said, Dad, it reminds me of when I was a little kid, and you just poured the concrete. It looks different than it's ever looked since then, you know? I said, that's because... It wasn't clean. And you know what the funny part is? Is I never even noticed it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some days you look at your house and you just go, oh my gosh, what happened? We, we've been living here and, it's, and this, it's gotten this way. And I know some of you right now are looking at your husband going, I have told you for years. <laughs> and, and don't do that, all right? But it, it happens. It happens. And it's amazing because we don't even see it as it happens. And of course, this kind of thing takes place in so many areas of life. There seems to be this inexorable pull from what you want, you know, fresh and and clean and and nice and all that, to something that you don't want, something that's moldy and dark and dirty. And as I said, it just happens in all kinds of areas in life. happens in relationships, in marriages. There's this inexorable pull away from what you want, a healthy, wholesome marriage. And if you don't step in and intervene, if you don't do something about it, it gets darker and mold starts to grow and it gets worse and worse. It happens in your finances. It happens in your personal health. All kinds of areas. And I've talked about this before. This is part of living in a fallen world, the world that we live in. It's called entropy. And just basically the law of entropy says that everything will slide in the direction of chaos and complexity Unless you intervene, unless you step in and stop the process, unless you get the power washer out and say, okay, it's gotten this way, but we're going to step in and bring it back to clean. I'll tell you where you'll really see this. 
is in the area of spirituality. In the area of our relationship, of our connection with God. So we experience some freedom. God gives us something good. And it's not because we intentionally wander from God, but we just, we just aren't aware of the easy pull that slides us back. You know, I've said this for many years. Some of you have heard me say this. I believe the Christian life never has plateaus. I don't believe you're ever on a plateau. It's never flat. You're either going up or you're sliding backwards because of the pull of entropy. And unless you step in, unless you intervene, it's like you find yourself further and further and further away from God. And many people will know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've experienced it. Jesus talks about this and, and actually uses it as a spiritual uh, sort of metaphor. This is what he says. This is found in Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, notice it says, an evil spirit. It goes through arid places, it seeks rest, and, and it doesn't find it. And then it says, well, I'm going to return to the house I left. So Jesus says, when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. But clearly, they didn't put anything else in there. And so then it goes out, takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in, and they live there. And this is Jesus' conclusion. The final condition of that man is worse than the first. And I've actually seen this many, many times over the years. I think Jesus makes it very clear. Unless you step into that natural, inexorable pull towards an entropy or, or just kind of a, a lessening of a spiritual connection with God, if you don't step into that, entropy will rule. It'll always be there knocking on the door and things will trend or tend towards chaos and complexity. So in Christianity, as you can imagine, now Christianity is 2,000 years old. And can you imagine uh, how difficult it is to keep the message centered and simple? But one of the beautiful things that happened in Christianity in the early years of it is when the church fathers, based on Scripture, the Word of God, put together something we call the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed, over the ages, now 2,000 years in a church that's worldwide in so many different kinds of cultures, has kept the church basically founded into the simple principles of Christianity. Because the truth is, is that churches tend to fight and bicker over things. And they, some of you know this. I mean, I hear people say it all the time. Oh, I went to such and such church. That was terrible. And I know they're saying that about our church. You know, people are, you know, they go, I went there and they, I, don't, you know, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. And people tend to fight and bicker and do all these things with each other. But what the Apostles' Creed does is it reminds us that really at the core of Christianity, we have far more in common with every single church around us than we have in disagreement with. The stuff that we disagree on tends to be small stuff. The stuff that matters is the stuff found in the Apostles' Creed. And for the most part, we're on the same page, but there are so many things that can divide us, not the least of which is just culture. Because in some cultures, some things are okay, and in other cultures, that very thing is that's not acceptable. And it's not a biblical thing that's bad. It's not that anybody's doing anything bad. It's just, we do this this way here. You know, you, you, you know 30 years ago, you walk into church, most churches, you weren't wearing a tie and a coat. People are looking at you like, what kind of bum are you? Anybody remember that? Any churchgoers? It's like you had to wear a coat. You had to wear a tie. If you were a kid, your parents made you dress up, and you hated church for that reason. Now, look at us. We dress like slobs. We're all, you know, just 
very relaxed about it, and somebody comes in with a coat and tie now, they're like, whoa, I came to the wrong place. I thought this was church. Well, you've been in a time warp, and you've moved into the future now, right? So it's cultural stuff. And there are these differences that people bicker over, which really aren't biblical, but they're cultural. Some of you have heard me tell the story. This happened years ago. A friend of mine, really a good singer, he was part of a music group that went on a mission trip down into Mexico. And so he's down in this small village in Mexico, kind of back up in the mountains, and he's going to sing a special in this small church that he is in. What he doesn't know is that in that culture there, in that community or that region, what the equivalent of flipping somebody off here in America would be, and you all understand what I mean by flipping somebody off, giving someone the middle finger, you know, communicating a message to them by sign language, the equivalent of that in that culture was the open palm against a fist. So if you did this, that was the equivalent of, I'm I'm not going to do it. Many of you are waiting, anxiously hoping I will flip you off. Uh, But it'd be on video, so, you know, I'll save it for another time, all right? But, but, um, But that's the equivalent of that. Well, he didn't know that. And he got up, and just to keep the beat through the whole song, he just went like that. Now, you think about that. Could you imagine us having a missionary come visit us from another country, and they're going to get up and sing a song to us and bless us, and the whole time they're like, yes, I love Jesus, and they're singing, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? We'd be like, what is wrong with you? But that is a cultural thing. That is not a big deal. That's, not, that's just culture stuff. And this happens. So there are many things like that that can separate us. But the Apostles' Creed, the beauty of it is, is that it brings us together on the simple things. And if you were here last week, when we started this series, called This We Believe, you heard me say that the Apostles' Creed, this thing that's almost 2,000 years old, is the statement of faith for TVC. We keep it very simple. And this series, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the implications of it. So what I want to do is I want to start out by reading it out loud together. Now, some of you are raised in churches, and you did this periodically. We don't do this a ton here at TVC, but I think it's good for us to come back to this periodically. So I'm going to put it up on the screen, and then I would like to invite you to join with me in saying this out loud. You all understand what the word out loud is? That means I'm not alone, okay? So we'll do it in a measured tone, but let's read it out loud together. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Now let me, just, let me just be clear on this. This, what we just read, this, we believe. We believe this. And I'm going to push on this a little bit. This is a little bit different for us as we go through this series because I'm going to talk about a lot. I know some of you who are here and you're just not sure where you're at, what you believe about the whole Christian thing. And we respect that and honor that and we'll love you wherever you're at spiritually. That's, that's really true about us. 
I think if you get to know us, you'll know that's true. But I want to speak from a Christian perspective and from a perspective of what TVC embraces corporately. We believe this. Now today I want to pull apart just a little bit of what the first part of it says. All this is based on Scripture. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now obviously this is communicating a real simple message, and I want you to hear it. We believe in God. At TVC, when we say this, we're not talking about a philosophy of living. We're not talking about, you know, we believe in being nice to each other. We believe in the brotherhood of mankind. We, be, we may have lots of things that we think and approve of, but when we talk about what we believe, number one is, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in God. And all those who are part of the church said... Amen. We believe in God. Not some philosophy, not just something. We believe in God. And we believe that He is our Father and that He is Almighty and that He is a supernatural God in that when we were broken and had rejected God and made a mess of humanity, that He came to us in the form of Jesus Christ. So we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only, does anybody know? Son, our Lord. We believe exactly what that says, that He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We not only believe there is a God, but that He is a supernatural God, a God of miracles, a supernatural God who does supernatural things. And hear me on this, because this is really important. As a church, we do not believe that the story of the birth of Jesus, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, we do not believe that that is poetic, that that is an analogy, that that is a metaphor. We believe that that is literally, physically, what happened. That God hovered over Mary. She conceived by a supernatural miracle of God, and that she was a virgin, had not been with a man, and that she gave birth to Jesus, whom we call Jesus Christ, in a miraculous way. Now this was prophesied by Isaiah so long before it ever happened. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 7.14. He said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The what? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. Which means... Does anybody know what it means? God with us. So God will come to be with us. So then, just before this supernatural event was to take place, an angel appeared to Mary, the one chosen to give birth to Jesus, our Savior. And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is God. And this, we believe. Supernaturally, God's Spirit created a child within Mary that would be, and this is what blows me away, that child would be God Himself. It would be all man. He became one of us. And it would be all God. It would be Emmanuel. God with us. Now let's just stop for a second. Do a little time out here. Most of you know this. 
But the culture that we live in today, the world that we live in now, I can't speak for a lot of other countries, but the the country that we live in, the United States of America, which for so many, so many years was very positive about Christianity, has now become overwhelmingly hostile to the message of Christianity. Now, I'm not dissing America. I love America and all that, but I'm just speaking the truth here, and you know this. If you tell people that you believe that Jesus was born from a virgin and that it was supernatural, and you believe there's a God, in many cases, and it never ceases to amaze me, this culture which, which prides itself on its extreme tolerance is very intolerant of people who say they embrace the Christian message. I've seen this more and more and more, and I've experienced this in my own life. Kind of this look. Now, here in America, compared to other countries that that are very hostile to the gospel, it's much less, it's much more subtle, but it's real. It's real, and people who who are intellectual, people who are highly educated, often view people who say, I believe there is a God, I believe there is a God, and I believe in Jesus Christ his son, our Lord, they look at you like you're kind of ignorant. Like you've been duped by something. Now some of you listening to this, you've been a Christian for a long time and you lament it because you remember the good old days when everybody would, nobody would question this kind of thing. This is what we all believed. Here's my opinion. You can disagree with me on this all you want to, but I do not lament this change. I actually welcome it and I will tell you why. Because when I was a kid, 50 years ago, let's say, there was such a blurring of our nationality and our religion that people would actually say, of course I'm a Christian, I'm an American. People would make a statement like that. But just because you are an American does not make you a Christian. Come on, is that true? Because Christianity is we believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But people would say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, so they could play. The lines were blurred. You know what my opinion is? And again, some of you will disagree with this, but I think we're much better off in a world where the lines are not blurred and where you understand if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you are in. And if you're not, you are out. But there's no blurred place in between. You're in or you're out. And you make that choice. You know, I was listening to, to Francis Chan uh, talk recently, and he was telling a story about when he was in an Asian country. I believe that it was China. I'm almost positive it was China. I did not go back to check, and so I'll, I'll, I'll just give that uh, caveat. But I, I think he was talking about China. And Francis Chan was there in China, and he said to one of the people in the church, and China, of course, is very hostile to the, to the message of Christianity, to, to religion in general, to believing in God, very, very hostile towards that. And so he said to this, this, this Christ follower that lives in China, he said, do you guys have a lot of people like we do in America that kind of just say they believe it, but they don't, you know, they go to church once in a while, they're like Christmas and Easter kind of thing, and they say they're Christians, but they don't really live it. And the guy said, oh, brother, no, we don't. And he said, why do you think that is? That's easy. He said, because here, when you make the decision to follow Jesus, you lose. You lose standing in your family. You lose standing. Sometimes it will cost you vocationally. Your education, your job may be reduced because you claim to be a Christian. You lose sometimes your governmental standing. You're standing in the community. You lose. And of course, this is exactly what Jesus talked about, that you lose sometimes when you become a follower of Christ. He said, why would someone say they're a Christian when they lose so much unless they were fully in? And it's a great question. 
But living in a culture like we live in, it's easy sometimes for us to play Christianity. But I don't think God wants us to. Jesus made this statement, which I think is so powerful. This is Mark 8, verse 35. He said, for whoever wants to save their life will what? We'll lose it. In other words, if you're trying to have it all and just get it all and, and, and kind of fit it all, and he said, if, if you're trying to do that, it's not going to work out. But he says, whoever loses their life for me and the gospel, say it with me, will save it. Will save it. Jesus says, if you choose to follow me, it probably will cost you. Now, it's not always like the, the persecution that we see in other countries, but it is there. So where are you? I just want to challenge you. I actually respect people that say, I do not believe in God. I respect that because they're honest enough to be open and admit it. I don't agree with it, but I respect their honesty about it. What I don't respect is people who play games with it. To me, I think you choose. Are you in or are you out? Remember what Jesus said in Revelation I would that you were hot or what? Cold. He said, but because you're neither, because you're lukewarm, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vomit you out. You can't fake it in Christianity. Are you in or are you out? Personally, this is why I believe that baptism holds such a high level of uh, urgency, really, when you read Scripture in the New Testament. Because baptism is a statement. It's not, I'll dabble my toes in the water and see what I think about Christianity. When you stand up and make the decision, I will be baptized, you are identifying with Christ as you go into the water to be baptized with his death, his burial, and then as you come up out of the water with his resurrection, and this is what you're saying, you are saying to the world, I am all in for Jesus Christ. And I think that's a statement that must be made by people. I think you need to choose. And if you've said, I am a follower of Jesus, but you've not been baptized, you should be. You know, coincidentally, the end of this month, on the 27th and the 28th, that's a Saturday night and a Sunday, here in Hastings campus, and then also at our Middleville campus on Sunday, we will be doing baptisms in every service. And if you've not been baptized, you should be baptized. Because it is a statement, I am all in. And that's what this creed is about. That's what these things we've been reading are about. This is a statement. When we read this statement, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This is a deal. People will criticize you for that. People will raise their eyebrows, and you'll just get that kind of disdained, you know, like, oh, yes, there's another idiot. You'll get that feeling, but you make the decision. You in or you out. We believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe in God. Unashamedly. Call me stupid. Call me ignorant. Call me unthoughtful. I don't care what you say. But I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now this is so powerful. The question is, if we really believe that, and I know many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I don't want to do that kind of thing. But I know many of you would say, dude, that, I believe that. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God the Father. I believe that the creator of heaven and earth is real. I believe in him. What are the implications of that, if you actually believe this? I, I, I don't think there's any way that I could talk about all the implications, so I'm just going to narrow it down to three things. I just want to talk about three things. Maybe one of these will hit you. Maybe one of these will make you think. But if you say you believe this, the first thing you need to be clear on is that means that God is 
our Father. And I know some of you are going, well, dude, we just read it. You know, we believe in God the Father. I get that. But I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what it means for God to be your Father. Now, all of us have a natural Father. And there probably are even some listening to this online or in this room or at our other campuses who may be saying, I don't know who my natural father is. Your mother never told you. You don't even know who your father is. But we all know we have a natural father. All of us have a natural father. And many of us would say, you know, I had a really good father. Some of you would say, I had a great father. Some of you would say, eh, (laughs) not quite great. I'm not even sure he was good. He was just in between. And some of you say, my father was a train wreck that happened on me. And I know that. But you know what the truth is? Even those of you who would say, my dad was amazing, you still have father wounds because, because, because your natural father is a human being. And even the good ones screw up and make mistakes. Even the best of them do things that wound and hurt their children at different times because they're human beings. But you need to understand now, you need to hear this is so important, is that though that's true about that father, you also have a father who is God, which is stunning, which is incredible when you think about it. You have a father who is in God. And this is astounding. It means that God's not some, simply some disinterested force of the universe that doesn't care about you or hardly knows you exist. He's not some, some thing in the cosmos somewhere that we're all inexorably going towards. No, no. God is a being, and he is your Father. Let's say it together. God, we believe in God the Father. The Father. And that means He will be there with you. And He will not wound you. And He will not break you. But that He loves you and He cares about you intimately. All the intimate details of your life. And sometimes I hear people say, I never pray about anything little because I just don't want to trouble God with it. Like God's up there going, Will you stop boring me with these little things? Give me something hard, you know. Nothing's hard for God. It's no more difficult for God to help you with one thing than it is another. And we don't, we don't realize that He is our Father and He cares about every detail in our lives. A lot of years ago now, I remember my, um, my middle son, Mike, he probably was, I would guess he was four years old, give or take. And he'd wanted to go with me. One day I was going into town, I was going into Hastings to the hardware store, and he wanted to go with me, so I said, yeah, let's go along, you know, and, and uh, you can go along. And so we get in the store, and he's with me and kind of following me around as I'm going around trying to get the parts I need. I don't remember what it was, but I was talking to a guy about something that I needed, asked him where it was, and I glanced down back to look at Mike, and he was gone. Anybody ever had that happen to you? And man, you just get this feeling on the inside like, your breath is knocked out of you. And so I was like, uh, excuse me, just one minute. And so there was like this center lane that I went down, and I'm looking down, both, uh, looking down every aisle both ways, and I walk two aisles over, and I look way down, and I can remember it perfectly. It was like the paint section, and I see him, and he's standing down there, and he's frozen. And he just wandered. <laughs> he just wandered away because kids are dumb. <laughs> I know there's some of you in here, some kids in here, and they're like, did he just say we're dumb? Yes, I did. Don't worry, adults are dumb too, but the kids often do this stuff. And he just wandered away. And so I looked at him, and he had this look on his face of sheer terror because he had lost sight of where I was. I remember this so well. 
And I was looking at him and I saw him and so I just stood there for a second. And then he turned his head and he looked and he saw me. Now I will say this to his credit because the instant he saw me, he didn't start crying, he didn't burst into tears and he didn't come running. But as fast as those little legs would carry him walking, he just came right after me. And he came up and he just grabbed my leg and he's like, like that. And his little body is just shaking. And I put my hands on his head and I just rubbed his head for a second. I thought, this is a moment... Jeff, don't miss this one with your son. And so I squatted down in front of him. I still remember it. I still remember looking in his face and I said, I want you to hear me now. Your dad will never leave you. He will not leave you. And I said it with full good intention and my heart was right. But I was thinking about this. It's not true. Because, Lord willing, I will die and leave him before he does. And someday I will leave him. And if you want to know the absolute truth, I never left him in a store. I think I may have left him at church once or twice. You know, it's hard when you're, <laughs> when you're a pastor, you know, in the early years when you have so many. We had six, you know. Who can keep, I couldn't even remember their names, let alone, you know, just. But there were times I should have been there for him and I was not. Moments emotionally when he needed me to just stop and not be abrasive and to listen to what his heart had to say. And I wasn't there. And every man in here, every daughter in here, you've experienced that. But what you need to be reminded of is that you have a Father in God who will always be there and who will be sensitive to your heart and who cares about the tiny little details in your life and I know that seems unbelievable to you and I know some of you say well I've asked him for something and he didn't come through just like sometimes your parents didn't come through for you because you didn't know what was best and they did and the same is true with our relationship with God but he is God almighty a father And I want to remind you, and some of you, this is what you need to hear, you've forgotten that God is your Father. And if you can get this, and this is a doozy of an if, if you can get this, if you believe that, you are never alone. Amen? Because God is your Father. And it will change how you look at things. It doesn't mean things won't be difficult at times. It doesn't mean things won't be hurtful and painful. But you are not alone. God is with you and he is your what? Let's try it again and see if we can get six people to say, God is your what? He's your father. Do not forget that. Do not forget how much he cares about you. Do you believe that? And it's just a huge question. Do you believe that God is your Father? I'll be honest with you, this stuff is easier to preach than it is to live. But I keep going back to this on a regular basis. I do not want to miss this. When I go through difficult times, I want to remember that I have a Father who is with me and cares about every detail in my life. And that brings me to the next implication. See, because if we believe this stuff we just read, that God Almighty is our Father, then it also means that there is rest for us. There's rest for us. And some of you this weekend, you actually, you're here because you need to hear this. You're running around. 
you're anxious, you're filled with a lot of anger and angst and frustration. And if you're a Christ follower, maybe you've forgotten that God is your Father. And that if that's true, I don't care how bad it looks, He'll take care of me. Some of you have heard me say this, but I'm, I'm actually of the belief that following Christ is a win-win proposition because this is how it works. If I live, He is my Father, I walk with Him, and I win. And if I get sick and I die, He is my Father, I will walk with Him in a different plane, but I still win. Amen? See, following Christ is a win-win situation, folks. It is a good thing. And sometimes I think we just need to be reminded because we forget and we're running around like we're the only person who can ever make a difference in our own life. But if you believe that God is your Father, there is rest. I don't know why sometimes we're so, call it ignorant, call it dumb. And you're saying, you saying that about me? Probably. I don't know why we're so dumb sometimes because this is what we do. And I think you'll know what I'm talking about. We say... If I can just get through this thing, if I can just get my wife to start treating me with some love and respect, if I can just get my husband, if I can just get this, if I can just get a decent job, if I can, and we just keep saying, if I can just, if I can just, if I can just, and you, why do we do that? We're smarter than that because what we know is, is that if you get that problem solved, that doesn't mean you won't have more problems. True? Okay, let me just stop. Since I'm a prophet, I'm going to speak over all of you now. It's Prophet Jeff, okay? Here's what I prophesy. You're going to have problems until the day you die. How do we get so ignorant that we think, well, if I solve this, my life's going to just be rosy. No, it's not. You get one car fixed and the other one breaks down. Come on, is that true? You get that car fixed and the toilet plugs. You get the toilet unplugged and refrigerator breaks. There's always going to be a problem. And how do we get so ignorant that we think the rest that I need will come when this problem gets fixed or when I get a little time off or when I get to that cruise or when I get this thing or that thing? No, 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 no. The rest that you really can have that really is there for us is not the result of solving a problem. It is the result of knowing a God as our Father. And so it's okay. It's okay. I don't like what's happening right now. I don't like this thing's happening in my life. It sucks. But God is my Father, and it will be okay. Come on now. You, you may not know. Th- that was good preaching right there. God is my Father. Sometimes I feel like I have to tell you because I feel like I'm looking at a mural, you know, like you just... God is... I'm not looking for applause. I'm just saying... I'm just saying, God is your Father. If you hear nothing else, hear that. Because there is rest. And Scripture actually talks about the fact that we need to stay right up on top of this because we lose this rest so easily. Here's a verse in in Hebrews chapter 4. This is in the New Testament, of course, verse 1. The writer says, Therefore, since the promise of entering His, God's rest, still stands, so let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Would any of you be honest enough? I'm not looking for raising hands, but would any of you say, I think I've been falling short a little bit. 
God is your Father. And therefore, there is rest. But you have to do what we talked about last week, and if you weren't here, you might want to listen to that podcast. Jesus said this to a father at one point. He says it to us. Don't be afraid. Anybody remember? Only what? Believe. Only believe. You just trust God. So the implications of believing this are first that God is our Father, secondly that there's rest, and then third, and this is so powerful, is that if you believe this stuff, this stuff that we just read, if you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, if you believe that stuff, you believe in miracles. You believe in miracles. And today, that's, of course, not vogue. For somebody to say, I believe in miracles, is kind of like, no, you don't believe, you know, I don't believe in the supernatural, I don't believe in all that stuff. But if you believe this, listen, if you believe this stuff, if you believe that there is a God, if you believe that He loves you, that He cares about you, if you believe that He's real, that He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, came to the world in our brokenness to save us, to make a difference in our lives, if you believe that stuff, you believe in a God of miracles. Amen? Now this, though, is where you often see entropy try to creep in. And I'll be the first one to admit it happens in my life a lot. It's like I will go through my days sometimes, and I'm working really hard to fix everything and make everything right. And sometimes it seems like I have to be knocked up beside the head because I forget that God is still in the business of doing miracles, and He can do what I can't and often does if I'll simply trust Him and only believe. God still works miracles. I know some people think it's crazy to say it, but I believe God's still in the healing business. I don't always see him heal, for, heal everyone I pray for, but I see it sometimes. And I love something a guy said to us on this platform. This is a couple years ago, maybe I was interviewing, and I said, you know, what if you pray for somebody and they're not healed? And I love his response. He said, but what if I pray for somebody and they are? See, I I believe there's still miracles happening today. Miracles in marriages, miracles in lives, miracles in our hearts, miracles in every different way. Do you look for God to move? And what I see in my life sometimes is I fall into this pattern. Jeff's going to fix it. Jeff's going to take care of it. I got this. No, I don't. And I need to be aware of God, my Father, who gives me rest and works miracles. And when I get away from that, I have to bring myself back into that connection with God you have that? You know, I know some people, some of you might even say, you said, well, you know, what, what does it mean when you say, how, how do I deepen my connection with God? How do I get serious about this? Because I feel like what you're saying, I, 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 I get it. I, I wander from that. How, how do I get it? I, I, I think there's so many answers in talking about how you develop your connection with God that I couldn't begin to touch this. But I will tell you an observation that I've made. This is just an observation. Take it for what it's worth. People who engage with the simple stuff in Christianity, they serve in their community. They serve in their church. People who engage with other Christ followers, they get into a, a men's group or a, a, a ladies' group or you know, they, they, they join together in a life group with other families with young kids and they all come together. I've never understood those groups. I don't even want to visit them. But they get into something like that where they're, they're, they're together and they're talking about spiritual things. This is just an observation that I've made. Those people, they seem to be more open and aware of God. 
I don't know exactly why that is. I think it's because they're just engaged in the stuff that keeps reminding them of how important it is to be connected to. I, I, I don't really know for sure. But what I know is that people who engage in this stuff seem to keep connected to him. And they're far more likely to be open to looking for God to move, being aware of his presence, walking in the peace and rest that he gives. So I would challenge you to be engaged in those kind of things. And I would ask you, are you all in for God? To me, the answer is not make somebody else happy by what you say. Your wife says, are you serious about God? Oh yeah, yeah, honey. No, if you aren't just be honest. Be man or woman enough to speak the truth. And if you're not all in for God, are you kind of wondering if you shouldn't be? And I would just say to you, it, listen, it really is not that complicated. You can choose to make a decision to follow Christ, to open your heart up and give your life to Him. You can do that. Or maybe some of you are sitting here and you would say, man, I feel so far from God. At one time I was close to Him. I talked to somebody in a service uh, last night and this person was just saying to me, I, I, I just, I got knocked down by stuff and, and I'm just coming back. And I was like, yay. Because that's the thing. God is our Father. And so we fall in the mud, we get up and He's there with arms wide open for us. And if it's time for you to make that decision to come back to Christ or to give your life to Christ, I'd love to pray with you today. We'll make you stand up. Won't embarrass you. Won't call you to the front. But would you all just bow your heads and close your eyes? This is out of respect for others. This is not a religious ritual. This is just providing a spirit of anonymity because it's intimidating sometimes to be in a crowd and then to say, yeah, I want to make that change. And sometimes that first step is hard. But if you say, I need to come back to Christ, or I want to give my life to Christ for the first time, I'll pray with you where you're seated. Just lift your hand up and make eye contact with me. And I'll pray in just a moment where you're seated. I won't make you get up or embarrass you. But if that's you, you say, I need to come back to God. Just lift your hand up and wave it at me. Make eye contact with me so I can see you. Where are you at? All right, awesome. Who else? If that's you, if God's speaking to you, okay, awesome. All right, sir, awesome. Who else? If that's God, speaking into your heart. Don't miss Him right now. If that's Him talking to you, you need to come back to God or you want to come for the first time and say, I need you in my life. We'll pray in just a moment while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Anybody else? Last call. Okay, heads still bowed, please. Eyes closed, everybody. I can't pray it for you, but you can do this on the inside. You don't have to speak out loud. Just on the inside, turn your heart in God's direction. And just say to him, God, I cannot do this without you. I cannot make it without you. Just be honest. I need you. Just say it to him, God, I need you. And then tell him, I believe, Jesus. I don't even understand it all, but I believe that you love me, that you gave your life for me, and I ask you to come in. Just pray it in these words, in any, any words similar. I ask you to come in and take charge of my life. Just say that to him. I ask you to come in take charge of my life. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. 
And for those of you who just prayed that simple prayer, this is a huge, giant step in the direction of God. And you will continue to apply this as you choose it and grow in that. And so now, God, we pray for every person, even those who couldn't lift their hand because they were scared, but they prayed this prayer nonetheless, and it's in their heart. May they grow in you. May they be aware of you. May they be filled and overflowing with you. And may they see your presence in their life, that you are their Father, and that there is rest, and that you do miracles in life. And may they know you and grow and be strong in you. And all the rest of us say, for those who have made decisions for Christ, we love that God. Yay, God. We're thankful for that. Hallelujah. Yay, God. All right, we'd love to get a book in your hand. It's called Seven Basics, and you can get that out at the Next Step area. You can text for it if you want to. And uh, we'd love to have you consider the Explore God class. There are like four groups, that, uh, four uh, meetings that happen in these groups, so Explore God groups. We'd love to have you be a part of that. And I know some of you are th- uh, thinking about this baptism that's coming at the end of the month, but it's scary to you. So I have just a very small clip. I just want you to see this, and it'll just kind of help you get a feel for what it's like to be in a baptism service here at TVC. Go ahead and roll that. next step area out in the lobby. You can do it online. Go to tvcweb.com. You can sign up online and be baptized on the 27th or the 28th. We'd love to have you. Let's stand to our feet and uh, I'll send you out with a blessing. Hey, November 4th, we're going to do what we call an all-out worship service here. That's a Sunday evening. And this is the nice part is there's no preaching in that service. All right. It's, it's roughly an hour long. You don't listen to preaching. We just come and worship and sing and pray and look for God to move because God is a miracle-working God. Amen? So may you go with an awareness of God, your Father. And may you be filled with joy and peace. And may it shine from you and touch the hearts of other lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll have people in front who'd love to pray with you if you have prayer needs.